we are going to embark on chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. So we started the book of 2 Corinthians about six weeks ago. Pastor Danny started us out. Pastor Chris taught the last three weeks through chapter 2. And just a little bit of a review of what's going on in 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul had planted a church in Corinth several years before the writing of this letter. He was in Ephesus when he got word that there were false apostles. There were Judaizers that were making their way into Corinth. So he left Ephesus, started heading up north on the east side of the Aegean Sea, stopped in Troas. Chris talked about this last week. And there was a wide door of ministry that was open to him. The Lord had opened doors for Paul to share the gospel. If you know anything about Paul at all, when the doors opened, Paul walks through it. He is all about the gospel and sharing Christ. This is one exception where he did not walk through that door. He left Troas, even though the opportunity was there, because he was so concerned about the church that he called his children in Corinth. So he continued up north through Troas to Macedonia. He stopped in Philippi, which is where he penned the letter to 2 Corinthians, the second letter. And Paul was weary, but he wanted to get to Corinth because he was concerned about the false teachers that had ascended on that community. Yet even though Paul was weary, he was concerned. He talked in chapter 2 about being thankful. And he was thankful for two reasons. He was thankful because of the triumph in Christ. That the seeds that were planted, the new life that was in the Corinthians, there was nothing that these Judaizers could do to take that away. Secondly, he was thankful that he was the aroma of Christ. And he talked about that very succinctly, very proudly, that he, in fact, was the aroma of Christ. And then a question was asked in verse 14 last week, who is adequate for these things? Paul talked about being the aroma of Christ, about being an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And then he asked the question, who is adequate for these things? It's a rhetorical question that we're going to answer here today. As we slide into chapter 3, what's going on here is that Paul is going to have to defend his ministry, his apostleship from the Judaizers because they have ascended into Corinth and they are trying to falsify Paul in the message that he brought. They're trying to rip that church apart. His credentials are obvious from his work. We're going to hear about that. Paul's confidence is in the Lord and Paul's competence or his adequacy is from the Lord. And you know, as I was preparing for this message, the Lord really does have a sense of humor and he knows what I need and he knows what you need. And I don't know what you need, but in hindsight, I know exactly what I needed in preparing for this message. And I'm all about application and practical. Um, Learning, whenever I read or learn, I'm trying to pull out what the Lord has in it for me. And I'm not much of an academic, quite frankly. I've got to read a lot of different commentaries. I read a lot of different books. I've got to, oftentimes, when I'm studying, I memorize the Scripture, because that's the only way I can get it to sink in. And then a week later, I, after I've taught it, I forget it. And I don't know if that's Alzheimer's sitting in at 50 or the drugs and alcohol from my teenage years. <laughs> Probably both. The reason God has a sense of humor is that this passage, chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians is one of the most difficult passages in all the Bible. It is all about the New Covenant versus the Old Covenant. And today we're going to look at the Old Testament. We're going to look at two verses in the Old Testament. 
in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and try to lay the framework for what's ahead of us in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. And we're going to get deeper into the New Covenant in the next two Sundays. So don't stress out if I don't go deep enough. I just want to give us a framework so that we understand what's going in in chapter 3. As uh, Pastor Tom used to say, sounds dangerous. Count me in. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we just bless your name. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your shed blood. And God, I pray that you would move me out of the way. Lord, anything about me personally, whether it be the way I talk, the way I look, anything, Lord, that is a distraction to anybody, God, I pray that you would remove that distraction. And Lord, that I would speak clearly the truth of the Lord. And Lord, that whatever it is that you've put on my heart from the last few days of study, God, that you want me to proclaim, I pray, God, that I would proclaim it clearly. Anything, Lord, that I have in my notes, God, that is from my flesh or is of no use here this morning, God, I pray that you would edit it. And I pray, God, that we would learn more about you and your majesty and that we would leave here today more in love and more desiring to follow and serve the Lord Jesus Christ who laid down his life, shed his blood for each of us. Now, without that new covenant, without the shed blood of Christ, we were doomed. We were doomed for an eternity of torment in hell. So, God, I thank you. We take great joy in knowing that we are your children. And I pray that anybody that's here this morning that has not put their faith and trust in you, that they have not acknowledged you as God, Lord Jesus. They have not believed in their heart that you are the Savior and that you rose from the dead. God, may this be the day. May this be the day. And God, I pray for anybody that's hurting today, whether it be physically, emotionally. God, I pray that you would meet them. I pray, Father, that you would just be their all in all, that you would be their adequacy and their sufficiency here today and going forward. So we ask that you'd go before us and that you would keep me out of the way. And God's people said, Amen. Well, if you would turn first to uh, Jeremiah. And we're also going to take a look at Ezekiel 11. So if you want to turn to both of those and just keep your finger in Ezekiel. We'll read Jeremiah. We'll start in chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And we're going to unpack this in the next couple of weeks, but for right now, just know that when he's talking about the house of Israel, he is talking about us as believers. Anybody that's put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, he's talking about us as believers. Let's take a look at Ezekiel 11, verses 19 through 20. And I shall give them one heart, and shall put a new spirit within them. And I shall take the heart of stone out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, and keep my ordinances, and do them. Then they will be my people, and I shall be their God. What Jeremiah and Ezekiel are saying here is that someday, God was going to do a new work. They weren't quite sure when that was. He was going to establish a new covenant. And this new covenant is going to be a better one. It's not going to be a better one because the commandments of the new covenant will be better than the commandments of the old one. 
but because these commandments will now be written on our heart, not just on stone. Another way of saying it is that there will be an outpouring of God's Spirit. He says, I will put my Spirit within you. And brothers and sisters, that is a result of the new covenant. That if you've put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, that He shed His blood for you, that you now have His Spirit in you. And we now have the ability to obey the law. When the law of God that is just and good meets with a rebellious heart, a heart that is not regenerated, when the law meets a heart that is not regenerated, it kills and it condemns. It kills and it condemns. So the law was a failure as far as assembling the renewed people. The new covenant is going to be very different. Not so much in the commandments that are made, but in the work of His sovereign Holy Spirit. It's the same law. And guess what? We're still called to obey the law. And that's a confusing thing for me at times. Especially growing up Catholic, where it was all about obedience and exasperation. Because you know what? Can you obey the law without God's Spirit in you? Not a prayer. And that is something to really be careful with, with our children, and with our co-workers, and with politicians, and with the desire to put the Ten Commandments up in school. Because at the end of the day, it don't matter. Sure, with our kids, we need to raise them up in the way of the Lord. We need to use God's Word. We need to administer it. That's key. But as they get older, they're not going to obey that law. They're not going to obey the things that you've taught them outside of an unregenerate heart. So our prayer is for what? Our prayer is that God would change and impute His righteousness into the hearts of our unbelieving children, co-workers, and neighbors. And you know, I feel like we get off track a lot as believers. I feel like there are large Christian organizations that are on the warpath to impose morality on people that are perishing. And you know what? Some of these large organizations are doing good. But we need to get back to the basics and to the power of the gospel. That's the only thing that's going to change hearts. That's the only hope we have for this country. That's the only hope we have for this world is the good news of Jesus Christ. The writing on the tablets of Sinai were external. It confronted people with their inability to obey perfectly the holy, righteous, and good requirements of God. And thus, you know what it did? It condemned them. The law condemns. But on the new covenant, God writes His law on the hearts of those who redeems. The power of the indwelling Holy Spirit enables them to keep that law. We now, brothers and sisters, have the ability to keep the law. And when we don't keep it, Sister Marilyn told me that I'd get struck by lightning. But now as a believer, when I don't keep it, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I hear an amen? amen. Does that excuse us from trampling upon grace? Does that excuse us from not desiring to be obedient to the Lord? Does it excuse us? Mm-mm. Paul saw his ministry as a fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. 
this Old Testament prophecy of the New Covenant. And we're going to get in the next couple of weeks into um, that, that people were not saved by works in the Old Testament. And that's a confusing concept as well, because you've got the New Covenant. You've got the, the death, the sacrifice, resurrection of Christ here. And you've got, ahead of that, you've got people that looked towards that. They had faith that that was going to happen. And sometimes I think in the church, we think that before the New Covenant, we were, they were saved by works, and that's just not the case. And we'll unpack that a little bit in the next couple of weeks. Let's go to our text for today, chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, verses 1 through 5. Let's read the whole thing together. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of commendation or recommendation to you or from you? You are our letter, Corinthians, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for us, written not with ink, here we go, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And let's stop there and take a look at the verses uh, 1 through 3. Paul is defending his ministry. The Judaizers, the false apostles, have come into Corinth when Paul was absent. They said, this message this guy brought you, what were his credentials for preaching that message? Did you see his letter of recommendation? This was a practice that was widespread in Paul's time. And it's actually widespread in our time, and it's not a bad thing. In fact, Paul in the book of Romans gave a letter of recommendation for Phoebe, I think in chapter 16. But the hair is up on the back of Paul's neck. You know, he spent 18 months plus with the Corinthians, pouring his life out to them, pouring the life of Christ into them, seeing many of them be transformed from people that were going to spend eternity in hell into believers of the risen God. Then these Judaizers were coming in and questioning his apostleship. So Paul asks the Corinthians in this letter, Two rhetorical questions. And both of these rhetorical questions demand the answer, no. And you know what? I had to remind myself what a rhetorical question even is. And what a rhetorical question is, it's really a statement that is put in the form of a question for emphasis or for emotion. An example of that would be in today's time, in fact, in this month's time, would be, I can't believe the Colorado Rockies are in the World Series! You know what the rhetorical question would be? Are you kidding me? The Rockies are in the World Series? I'm not saying you're kidding me like, is it real? That's a rhetorical question. What Paul is saying here is, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? I mean, do I have to reintroduce myself to you all? Don't you know who I am? I poured my life out. Do I need to get letters of recommendation from you? No. You know who I am. It'd be like Willie O'Burke coming back here and wanting to be the teaching pastor here again, and we put him through an interview process. Like, Willie, could you bring us a letter of recommendation? That's just ridiculous. We know Willie, right? Paul did not need credentials from so-called church leaders. His life and ministry were the only recommendations he needed. And he says that right here. He says... 
Corinthians, you are our letter. Written in our hearts. Known and read by all men. And what Paul's saying there is that wherever he has gone, whether it be in Macedonia, whether it be in Asia, Thessalonica, Philippi, Troas, he made known the work of Jesus Christ in the church in Corinth. And that it was a result of Paul's ministry. That seems kind of proud, doesn't it? For Paul to go around saying, God saved many people in Corinth, and he used me as an aroma of Christ. But Paul's saying, that's my letter of recommendation. You are my letter of recommendation. This true test of ministry to which Paul had submitted himself, this true test has changed lives. You know, at the end of the day, if Windsor Community Church doesn't have people that are growing in their intimacy and love for the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're not loving people more, loving each other more, loving people that have yet to come to Christ more, you know, in some way, it is a reflection on your pastors. And I say that not really understanding it, but there's some reflection there. And if people aren't coming to the Lord through this ministry, we're wasting our time. We're wasting our time. We can't will people into the kingdom. We can't guilt people into the kingdom. We can't push people into the kingdom or pull people into the kingdom. But we can pray and we can make known the great name of Jesus Christ and not compromise in the gospel in all of our relationships. It is one thing to possess the appropriate ordination documents or the framed university degree proudly displayed. But we're the living letters. We're the living letters that justify my ministry. Chris's, Dean's, Danny's. I submit to you all as the priesthood of believers. We're the living letters. For a lot of us, it's our kids. We've seen fruit in our kids. We've seen our kids come to Christ. But I so long, not for my exaltation, but for the glory of God, to see lives changed. If there's any one thing, anything I can do at all, I want to do it. The confirmation of one's ministry lies in the effects of that ministry in human lives. In verse 2, Paul talked about the special place he has in the heart for the Corinthians. As I told you, he went everywhere he went, he told about the changed lives in the church of Corinth. In verse 3 now, this is where Paul sticks it in jabs the Judaizers. Paul directly confronts the false apostles who preached a false gospel and mixed Christianity with circumcision, old covenant ceremony, and legalism. That doesn't fly. The tablets of stone were those on which God supernaturally inscribed the Ten Commandments, but the miracle of Sinai cannot match the miracle of salvation. Amen? You know, there are churches and religions today, huge churches and religions today, that call them Christian religions, even though many of their roots are Christian, where they preach a gospel that is mixed with old covenant ceremony and legalism. Old covenant ceremony and legalism. And every Sunday, Christ is crucified again 
and again and again and again and again. And guess what? Christ died once and for all. Once and for all. No need to go through the sacrament of turning the transubstantiation, of turning that bread into the body of Christ. And I know that there are people that love Jesus and that there are true believers in this religion that I'm referring to. But it's full of hypocrisy and it's full of heresy and it's exasperating because we are saved once and for all and praise be to God, we don't have to keep earning it and earning it and earning it. Let's take a look at verses 4 and 5. And Paul continues, And such confidence or trust we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Paul has a confidence that these things have actually taken place. These things being transformed lives. That these things have really taken place. Do you ever have times of doubt? where you've sinned, and you've sinned, and you've sinned. And the enemy says, how can you be the Lord's? How can you be the Lord's? And Paul goes back to the finished work on the cross, that Christ died once and for all. And Paul had confidence that Christ was working and is working. Then he talks about where his adequacy or his sufficiency is from. Remember, he's been talking about his ministry for almost a full chapter now, about how he is the aroma of Christ and how he has talked about the Corinthians that the Lord used him to save. He is answering here in verse 5 the rhetorical question that he asked back in chapter 2, verse 16. And that question is, is who is adequate for these things? Who is adequate to be a minister of the gospel? Who is adequate to be a steward of the manifold grace of God? Another way to ask this question is, does anyone have the power, the resources, or the competence to do these things? Actually, none of us do. Who's adequate? None of us. Outside the relationship with Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. So believer, you are adequate for these things. You are more than adequate to love the unlovable. You are more than adequate to share the good news of Jesus Christ with your next door neighbor who hates your dog. If he commissions us to a certain task or calling... He will make us competent, and we can put our full confidence in Him. If He prompts your heart to do something, it could be as simple as inviting a neighbor over for dinner, or it could be as big as wanting to start an outreach to the nursing home in Windsor, Colorado, or the high school. He will make you competent. If He prompts your heart, step out in faith. Step out in faith. Your competency comes from Him, and you can take confidence that He will direct your steps. 
As Christians, we have the strength and power of Christ, and he makes us adequate. We can do nothing on our own, but we can do all things through who? Through Christ Jesus, who strengthens us. Philippians 4.13. You know, Paul was a brilliant, educated man. We see that in the book of Acts. Yet he did not depend or boast in his own adequacy, and we see that over and over again. And you've got to read the whole context of Scripture, because there is times where you read small passages and you go, Man, was he a prideful guy. But then he always comes back and says, not me, but him. Romans 15, verses 18 through 19, says, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. The only thing that Paul boasts in ultimately is what God has done through him. And you know what? There are many talents and gifts in this body. And we need to boast in the Lord. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Christ. Our strength comes from Christ. And our audience is one. And you know, I had the hardest time in this passage, as I mentioned, coming up with application. And I didn't want to come up with application. I wanted the Lord to give me some application. And we're going to dig deeper into the New Covenant the next couple of weeks. But I want to give you uh, four things to think about for your personal reflection and study this week. Number one, have confidence in who Christ is and what He has done in your life. Have confidence in who Christ is and what He has done. If you are His brother or sister, there's nothing that will separate you from him. Nothing. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So point number one is have confidence in, in who Christ is and what he has done in your life. Point number two. Be secure in who you are in Christ. Paul refused to put confidence in what others thought of him. That's a terrible place to live. I've lived there a lot. You know, in worrying about what other people think about me. You know? And ultimately, we need to be secure in who we are in Christ and what he's called us to. 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10. This has kind of been my theme verse the last couple of years And Paul is talking about, initially, about uh, the the thorns in his flesh. And he entreated the Lord. He begged the Lord three times to remove those thorns. And God, in his infinite wisdom, said this to Paul. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So be secure in who we are in Christ. I may have talked about this up here before. It's been a constant theme of my life. But I'm not Dan Hardy, pastor at Windsor Community Church. I'm not Dan Hardy, co-business owner with my dear brother. I'm not Dan Hardy, former stockbroker. You know what? I'm not even Dan Hardy, husband of Nancy. Or Dan Hardy, father of Natalie, Mitchell, Joey, and Jared. Those are all great things. 
But I am Dan Hardy, redeemed, forgiven, child of God. That's what it means to be secure of who you are in Christ. It's a sad thing when we measure our worth by what people say or think about us, rather than what God knows about us. There's something called positional and relational. Positionally with the Lord, He sees us as perfect and holy and righteous, redeemed, forgiven, spotless, blameless, positionally. Relationally, we can actually cut off our relationship with Him on a day-to-day basis by continual sin, unrepentant, unconfessed, sin. That's an amazing concept. The enemy wants us to wallow in our sinfulness, to wallow in our mistakes. The Lord's already forgiven us, but he wants a right relationship with us every minute, every hour of every day, of every month, of every year, of every decade. And that's just humbly being broken before him and confessing our sin. And moving on. So one is have confidence in who Christ is and what he has done in your life. Two is be secure in who you are in Christ. Three, your competence, your sufficiency is from the Lord. Who of us is adequate to shine and share Christ? Anyone who has Christ's spirit in him. Because Christ will manifest himself through us, the Holy Spirit will empower us. I'm not adequate for this task on my own. Philippians 4.13, again, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 2 Corinthians 10, but he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. The Lord has commended each of you and called each of you to a task. And I would dare say a lifetime task. And then we got day-to-day tasks. We're actually, uh, Chris and Danny and I and a couple of the guys from Mountain View are, are going through kind of a, a life calling exercise tonight in the next couple of days. Golly, you think at age 50 I know what my life calling was, wouldn't you? Still, still working on it. And I believe that the Lord has a unique calling on my life. And I believe He has a unique calling on each of your lives. And we got all these voices in our head And these voices a lot of time are what other people told us over the years about what we can and what we can't do. Telling us how we're wired rather than listening first and foremost to the Lord. Now God's going to use each other in each other's lives, right? I mean, we're going to affirm and confirm a calling. But Lynn Sanukian, who I'll introduce in a little while here, I don't know if it's his saying or somebody else's, but he says, What's that one thing I must do? What a great thing to ask your kids. Mitch, Joey, Natalie, what's that one thing that you must do that you've got to spend a lifetime doing? It kind of gives me a headache thinking about it. But each of us have a unique calling. There's a book by Bruce Wilkerson called The Dream Giver that I read, and I might have even given it to a couple of you. There's a few bones in it, but there's some good meat. And it just talks about that the Lord gives each of us unique dreams, and it's based on our unique wiring and our unique calling. Dream big. Dream big for Christ. 
You know, like never before at age 50, it's like, where did the time go? And did I waste so much time? I want the rest of my life to count like it's never counted before. And however it is that the Lord's wired me, I praise Him for it. I don't want to be anything that I'm not. I don't want to fill any position that I'm not gifted and wired for. I just want to be used by Him and for Him. And that's my prayer for each of you, no matter how young, no matter how old. You know, a couple of quotes. Um, One newspaper editor ripped Abraham Lincoln apart for his Gettysburg address, saying that his remarks were inappropriate and not worth mentioning. Oh, is that so? Thomas Edison's grade school teacher said he was stupid and would never learn. Is that so? Noah preached for 120 years and had no converts except those in his own family. If his confidence had been based on the people's response, he would have been devastated. You know what? Even the majority of people can be wrong. If our confidence depends on what other people think of us, then life for us is going to be pretty darn miserable. The last point, power and strength to obey and endure is from the Lord. And this was an afterthought, because the way I'm wired oftentimes is to kind of charge through, you know, kind of put on your boots, pull up your pants, and just get after it. And that's a recipe for disaster. And that's a recipe for operating in the flesh. So the fourth one is power and strength to obey and endure is from the Lord. We try to do it too often by sucking it up and going for it. And what God wants us to do is surrender. Because we're not capable of living this Christian life. I know I'm not. But we've got the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Where we can overcome any sin, any temptation. We can endure any obstacle. And by His grace, we can accomplish anything that He calls us to. It's not just automatic because we have the Holy Spirit in us. I've had the Spirit in me ever since I was saved. So have you. It says in Galatians 5.25, If we live by the Spirit, meaning if you are saved, let us also walk by the Spirit. What's the opposite of walking by the Spirit? It's walking in the flesh. Doing things my way. Is that Sinatra? Doing things my way. Well, I trust that there is something in here for you. We are going to go into a time of communion. And I was hoping that communion would fall next Sunday. We do this once a month. Because next Sunday we're going to get deeper into the New Covenant. And communion, or the Lord's Supper, is all about the New Covenant. I'm going to read in uh, 1 Corinthians. As you know, before I do that, I'm going to read in Hebrews 8. Just to prepare our hearts a little bit further. And this is basically out of Jeremiah 31. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, Well, I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel, with you, brothers and sisters, and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers, on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not Continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel 
After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen, and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. That's the heart of the new covenant. That he is merciful to our iniquities and he remembers our sin no more. As we go into communion, I just ask that you would just go before the Lord. In fact, would you bow your heads now and just reflect upon the great sacrifice of Christ. That he willingly laid his life down for each of us. That there was nothing that we could do to earn favor. That every man, woman, and child was separated from God the Father for eternity. And the blood of goats and heifers and all the incense could make us right with the Father. The only thing that would make us right was the sacrifice of the unblemished one, the unblemished lamb. A perfect and holy sacrifice. And as we partake of the bread and the juice, I just pray in my own heart that God would show me and remind me and reveal to me like He never has before the reality of this sacrifice. And without it, I would have no hope. If there's anything in your heart that you need to confess. Just do business with the Lord. He's already forgiven you. He just wants you to acknowledge it. To thank Him for His forgiveness. Remember, brothers and sisters, that there truly is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And it's all as a result of the shed blood of Christ. The Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he took it he gave thanks. He broke the bread and he said, This is my body. This is my body, Diane. This is my body, Elisa. Donna, Meredith. Gary. He said, this is my body, Steve, which is for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant. The new covenant, the old has passed away. This is the new covenant in my blood. For without the shed blood of Jesus, there is no covenant. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we praise you. God, we ask that you would meet us here today. Oh, Lord, how great it is that your mercies are new every day and that you continually renew the joy of our salvation.
And God, as we remember your finished work on the cross, Lord Jesus, there's a certain element, God, where I want to grieve my sin. But Lord, I want to walk and operate in the joy of Christ, not dwelling on mistakes. And I thank you for the joy and the victory that we have because of your sacrifice. And God, I pray that there's anybody here that hasn't understood, regardless of how long they've been in this building or this church or this body, whether it be the first day or six years, that you would remove their scales, that you would show them that there's nothing they can do to earn favor with you, that they can't be good enough. May this be the day of complete surrender to you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus.